Hey, everybody. You can take your seats, please. This morning, we're blessed to have Brian Bywater with us. He's going to be sharing the word of God with us. Um, Brian is, uh, has a street ministry in Hartford, and he's going to tell you more about that and uh, share God's word. So, welcome, Brian. Hey, family. I feel like, uh, look, I'm 55, so I make these old man references. I feel like romper room sometimes when I show up, right? I look around and go, like, I see Peter and Johnny and Susie, right? And I see friends that have been down to street church. And um, I love being with family, right? Like, we're the family of God, which is cool. So I want to borrow 20 bucks <laughs> if I could. Um, whenever we, we, we have the honor and privilege to handle and speak and preach the word of God, I always allow the spirit just to say what he wants to say, which is smart. I have back talked to the Holy Ghost, and take it from me, it's, it's not a good thing to do. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you, oh, good one, to have your way. Father, you have a gift for us. You desire to give good gifts to your children. Father, please, just get me out of the way. I really want to hear what you have to say today. Because your words are life. Honey to my lips. And water to my soul. O balm of Gilead, we come here with joys and with burdens, with scattered minds and focused hearts. Thank you for the privilege to be in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So I do. I have a street church in downtown Hartford. If you've been there, you know it. If you haven't, um, I'll tell you about it. Come and join us. But I also have uh, four churches now in nursing homes, assisted living facilities. I'm really excited about them. We're watching the Holy Spirit just rip through the house, right? Because the Lord loves souls, doesn't he? Right? We go back to Exodus chapter 20. He tells us in the beginning of the great, the great 10 words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of bondage, out of the house of slavery. Right? It's the Lord who ransoms us. It's the Lord who found us. Amen? That's so good. Isn't it good news? Like Jesus found us. Right? Ever since going way back to Genesis chapter 3, we're playing like hide and go seek with the sovereign God of the universe. It's pretty dumb, isn't it? Right? We made a little mistake, and God came walking in the garden. It was really beautiful, and it wasn't a voice of condemnation, I would imagine. It wasn't like, you know, where are you? It was like, no, no, where are you? He came looking for his children, his disobedient ones, right? If we have kids, we get that. If we have friends, we get that, right? First there's this, ah, and then it's, ah. If you've ever had a kid who's made a mistake and found themselves in a mortal position where life and death is at stake, right? That's the call, isn't it? Not, I'm going to get you and beat you. No, it's like, I'm going to get you and I'm going to find you and I'm going to hold you tight and I'm going to bring you into safety. Isn't it true? 
That's what the Lord was doing that day in the still of the, the, still of the day, in the, the beautiful day, the calm in the midst of all that chaos was raging because he had a choice to make that day. He told his children, if you eat of this one tree, if you're disobedient to this one thing, then I have to bring judgments. Right? I don't believe God was really excited to say, now I get to kill my kids. What kind of God is that? Amen? Like, I mean, that's the day of Good Friday. I, do, I cannot imagine. He's like, yippee-doo, today's the day I get to crucify my kid. I mean, seriously, is that the God that we can understand? Is it? We have judgment, we have mercy, and that's a whole piece of Scripture today. That's what we have with this incredible passage in John chapter 8. Don't we? Now, we're singing that beautiful song, right? It's like in the prayer we had, we're, we're, all, we're all coming to Jesus. And when, when you hear the name of Jesus, I just wonder, as we start, what comes to mind with you? What, what goes in your heart when you hear Jesus? Jesus. Do you ever just say that name when you're by yourself, Jesus? I become a snotty mess. I can, I love the name of Jesus. The name above all names, blessed Messiah. God with us, Emmanuel, the bright morning star, the alpha, the omega, amen? This is Jesus. And here we have this passage today, and it's not like, you know, oh, we, we've come to meet Jesus, and you know, Eric kind of chucked me under the bus with this one, right? He's like, look, I'm going to talk about encounters with Jesus, people who met Jesus. Now, if we're honest with this pericope, this piece of passage, this woman didn't really meet Jesus, did she? When you read it, we have these people, we have the Sadducees, we have the Pharisees, they're all there together, and they're trying to find a way to kill Jesus, right? That's what people do. They want to kill Jesus. So what do they do? They find a woman who's messed up and use her as their means to trip up so they can kill Jesus. They had no care for this woman. She was honestly a hunk of meat. They didn't escort her in. They dragged her before Jesus, didn't they? It's right there. They dragged her before Jesus, and, you know, some scriptures will say placed her at her feet. I can't imagine they were kind and gentle, right? Oh, look, Jesus, we found this woman. Absolutely not. Can you imagine? Like, this is an eisegesis, don't worry. But can you imagine what was going through her mind, Right? Like everybody here, we all, the scripture tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. But the good news is the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So here this woman is coming in and she's like, I got busted and now everyone's going to know my laundry. That's what was going on. She was dragged to Jesus. And we know this story, if you've been around the church for a while. Teacher, this woman uh, has been caught in the act of adultery. Going back to the, the ten words, the ten commandments, they knew that Moses commanded this woman should be stoned. You, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of bondage, yada, yada, yada. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's just kind of weird, right? How do they know she did this? Was she out in the middle of the streets like they had been? 
If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 2, going through verse 3, when God called out faithless Israel as a harlot, a prostitute, as a donkey in heat, a camel wronging her off to find every male in heat, well, that's what he was, are, are, are we like, are we like, is she like us, Jesus? They'd forgotten that. Faithless Israel playing the prostitute under every single tree. But no, 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 doesn't matter now. This woman we're going to call out. Jesus, you tell us about this woman. We know the law of Moses, but it doesn't apply to us. Just her. What do we do? So verse 6. They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And, you know, everyone will have a say on this piece. I'm sure you've heard folks preach on it before. What did he write? What did he do? But the beautiful part that I'm always struck with me is the, be- the, the beautiful holy deflection. Right? So when Jesus will introduce us to the Father at our great getting up morning, there's going to be a deflection for those who are in Christ. For those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's this holy step in. Just as he was doing there for this woman. Yeah, she's guilty. Yes, we're guilty. But this one, because of the faith in me, is safe. Isn't it amazing? There's no denial of the guilt. We cannot deny our guilt. Can we? We can't deny our guilt. You wake up, you go through life. None of us can fulfill the law fully, amen? We're called to live holy and righteous lives. We don't get off, but we're called to live these holy and righteous lives as best as we can, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we find ourselves in the same position with that woman dragged before Jesus and laid at the ground. So Jesus bent down and wrote in seven, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said, let him who was out sin among you be the first to throw the stone. It's interesting, like a construct there in the Greek really means, now for those who actually saw this thing happen, For those who were there and can really hold it into account, for the witnesses against her, you do it. And if you start to remember scripture, it says, you know, judge not lest you be judged by the same way you judge, you shall be judged yourself. So Jesus is really calling these folks out to say, look, Jesus does this an awful lot. He's like, look, you talk about all these people, but what about you? What about you? Yep, I know that, but what about you? Right There's Jesus hanging out with Peter. John's over there. You know what, Jesus? They say that guy's not going to die. Yeah, Pete, I know, but don't worry about him. You worry about you. You worry about you. And Jesus, Paul, he calls us out on it all the time, right? The beam in the speck, it's just beautiful. It's like, you know what? This guy's got this, look at this horrible city. Yeah, what about, this? What about the beam in your eye? You focus on that so that you can help that person with the besetting sin, with the, 
the disregard for the Lord that way. That's the selfless love of Jesus that holds people accountable, comes besides them, walks with them, and shelters them from the accusations of the world. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. But unfortunately, that's not the way the world sees the church too often. We live right now in a society, and I'm told I can't, I'm going to be careful. I don't want to offend anybody, so I'll offend myself. I live in a society that's looking everywhere for moral failure. Everywhere you look in a cancel culture where we live, we're trying to find moral failure so that we can knock the legs out of everything we've held up in a pillar. Everywhere we go, they did this to this woman. We don't know. Again, be very careful when you read scripture, right? Don't do like, this is what I think and feel. But when we're honest about it, we don't know this woman's story at all, do we? We don't know who she was. She could have lived the most exemplary life. She could have like given all of her money to the poor and then got caught up in this moral failure. I don't know. And again, like I'm being really careful here. I'm just asking us to say, how do we apply this into our lives? What would you do if someone dragged a person like this onto your doorstep? What would you do if the town prostitute started to come and worship in this church? What would you do? What would you do if the woman that you knew in your neighborhood had an affair with your best friend that came into worship in this church? How would you respond? Anyone else's stomach get tight? Mine definitely did. I have the unfair advantage of having to ask myself these questions all the time. Do you have that picture? So what do you do when you have a church and known addicts and prostitutes start showing up? What do you do when they want to walk up and have communion? What do they do when they want to enter into the fellowship? What do you do when people have never encountered the full grace of God but still want Jesus? What do you do? What do you do when you do prison ministry and you have kids that are 14 years old on high bonds because of their really violent crimes and they want to come to your Bible study? I've had to sit and struggle with these things. Uh, This woman one day came in and in a fit of rage, like she was really off and really high. And she took a can of spray paint. She spray painted all over the courtyard where we meet in the front steps of City Hall. And I'm like, oh man, we're going to get kicked out. We've been there for five years. And I'm like, ah, what do we do? 
So all of a sudden, three other people that were there, two of them homeless, one with us, they got down, and it was a rainy day, and they grabbed our wipes that we have for wiping down the tables after, you know, to take care of COVID, and, and they're on the ground on their hands and knees wiping up what she had written herself, wiping up the spray paint, wiping up her sin, wiping up her moment of fists of rage. It's what Jesus does and did for this woman, getting down and eliminating, expunging for those of you who might know some prison, uh, some prison work, it's uh, nollying, just wiping out completely her sin. You know, Scripture tells us that when Jesus bore our sins, he doesn't even have a memory of it. Isn't that incredible? Can you forgive like that? Can you forgive and not even have a memory of it? As hard and far back as you go, it's like you have amnesia. Holy amnesia. So when they brought this woman to Jesus, and they threw her right at his feet, they heard the accusations, and they heard the words of Jesus And one by one, they walked away, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. We don't know exactly why the oldest ones walked away first. Stands to reason, a lot of commentators really believe that, you know, these were the ones that have spent a lifetime searching scripture, might have said, he's answered well. When you're young and you're zealous, you want to stay for the fight. I remember those days myself. Maybe the old guys are like, man, my back hurts. I want to go sit. But they all went away, and the woman was left alone with Jesus. And we all are left alone with Jesus. Asking on to bring our sin, to bring our brokenness, to bring our failings and our joys and say, Jesus, what do I do with this? And I'm grateful when the Lord says a true and contrite heart he will not despise. In, in true contrition, he takes them all and wipes them away. And Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? Who is left? And they're all gone. And she said, I would imagine just a breath. If you've ever been in a a life or death situation for those who've served in the military, this woman was just about, she was life or death for her for a moment, right? Right? The penalty in Deuteronomy talked about stoning, and that's what they were saying. She was right there. And when you find yourself in a traumatic situation and it's gone, there's this intense release of all of your endorphins. (sighs) 
And in the still, small voice that spoke to the prophet, that same voice who called every tree into existence, the same voice who would reach down into death and call up Lazarus and a little girl, said to this woman, go on and sin no more. We don't know the rest of her story. We know a lot of us struggle and struggle and struggle, but here in this moment, here when it was, what do we do? Do we kill her or let her go? The Pharisees thought there was just the black and the white, and Jesus was saying, There's a red. My blood. That's the answer. On the cross, justice and mercy mingled and flowed down on us all. And what we're seeing on the streets right now is the world is desperately trying to see mercy and justice kiss. The world is demanding reconciliation. And they're calling it justice. They're trying for retribution. I'm looking for mercy. How do we handle that? I believe the church of Galatia can speak to us. You've been around for a while. There was a a whole bunch going on in the church. We had the Judaizers, right? We had the sect of the circumcision, and they're trying to bring these people in, and they're saying you first have to submit to all of the law, all of the yoke, the yoke your ancestors couldn't carry before you can actually be part of this new body of believers, the body of Christ. And then the Lord gave them the gift of the Spirit that they might no longer gratify the works of the flesh. Over in chapter 5, verse 20, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, all those things. So I imagine we all fit in there somewhere. He says, but you, you put on the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit, they're like, they're receiving gifts, right? Right? When we have the, the fruits, the, the, the fruit grows from the Christ within us, so we don't do anything to produce fruit, right? When Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, when the vine graft gets put on the old vine roots, that new graft produces nothing or gives nothing to the old vine. All the life from the old vine, right, the stump of Jesse, goes into the new So what he's saying is when you graft into me this new life, not the old life, is going to be grafted on, and it's it's going to just pop out like an artesian well, right? If you've ever been in a youth group and played games with Alka-Seltzer, it's like this thing just flies out of your mouth. Don't try it. It's not pretty. But then we're going to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there is no law. So church, I believe right now we need to drink deeper from 
the well of life, deeper from the living water, eat deeper of the bread of life, that these receiving gifts might flow out of us more fully because when we engage in gospel ministry, we're going to bring in those like this woman because Jesus did not come for the righteous but for the sick. He came to call the broken. In this day and age right now, friends, we need to do just that. But we have to be ready. And we've got some friends right now that are working all over the country. And they're experiencing these pockets of renewal. Right? We've got a group that meets in my house every Thursday. It's not a small group. It's a renewal cell. And we are pressing into God in such a way because we want to be vessels that can receive all of these gifts. So that when folks come to us, we can help and bring them in and receive them the broken are going to start to come and we have to let the Holy Spirit do the work of sanctification in their lives. So when the Church of Galatia was coming together, they were coming from all different parts of life, people that never followed Jesus before and they had to have the patience to walk besides these people, right? So that the Lord would have his way. In the same way with this woman, when they dragged her in and threw her at the feet of Jesus, So, what is this thing? Oh, cool. I don't have a lot of slides because I preach outside. Thank you. I just want to make sure it wasn't like something if I touched it, I would break it. So our question today is, who are you allowing Jesus to drag into your life? What horrible, rotten person is coming to you? Because, and don't look at your spouse. Because, I'm kidding, my wife is like, oh. She looks at my ring and goes, it burns. It burns. <laughs> but I want to be careful with that because I know folks are, so, you know, I, 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 I say that I, I'm serious. But who is the Lord bringing into you that you really don't want to deal with? Who is it? And if there's no one like that in your life, beg God to make it so. Beg God, please, Lord, send me the misfits. Send me the broken. Send me the hurting. Send me the discarded. Send me the sick. Because we were saved that we might enslave ourselves to those kinds of people. Amen? The world is full of them, and they are not beating down our doors to come in. They're not. Find them. They're not just on the streets of Hartford. They're in nursing homes. You know how much fun it is to lead an 87-year-old Jew to Jesus? It's phenomenal. And there's so much rejoicing. They're in our schools, elementary school, middle school, high school. They're in our workplaces. But if the Lord's not bringing them to you, beg for him to do it. And remind yourselves, right, 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all others. 
Father, we thank you so much for this crazy story today of a woman caught up in so much, dragged to your feet and given grace and mercy and a challenge and an invitation. Lord, when we were yet dead in our sins, your word says that you died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring glory to God. That is mercy. That is grace. Father, let us never forget that you are the one who called us out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery, out of death and into life. You did it. You initiated it. While we were children of the devil, underneath all the trees, acting like those camels and donkeys, you came to us. You became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen your glory. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the honor and the privilege to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are so grateful. So, Father, today we would like to rededicate ourselves to you afresh. Remind us, Lord, of the Ebenezer's, all the ways and times and places you have helped us. As our brother sang, restore in us, Lord, the joy of our salvation. And renew that right spirit within us. And send us, Lord Jesus. Send us that others might hear of the saving acts of the sovereign God. And Father, if we've touched this space, if, if Holy Spirit, if you've moved in us, if there's things in us that we need to deal with, we'd like to bring them to you as we, we gather after the service and prayer. You said that in those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. We should never grieve when we repent because it's such a beautiful word. It says, come back to me. No matter how far you've been, how far you've wandered, come back to me. Oh, you're so good. Jesus, we love you. And Father, I would just like to thank you and your, your wisdom for raising up this body of believers and for gathering them. We thank you so much for Pastor Eric. We just pray an anointing and a blessing on him and his family and upon this church that, Lord, you might use it to just set this town ablaze for your glory. And, Father, never let us forget what it feels like to stand in your love and your mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.